Peace be with you. This is the service that almost didn't happen. You may not know it, but we didn't have power in this building and most of the building until about last night at nine o'clock. But the Lord said, nope, you don't get to skip James. You don't get to skip this passage. So here we go. Uh, my name's Brian. I'm one of the pastors on staff here at Sojourn. Uh, my wife is, is Jackie. We have uh, three children. We got two boys. Uh, Brian is five. Jonathan is three. And we recently brought home our, our baby daughter, Evelyn, uh, who is now two months old. Uh, and uh, yeah, wonderful family. My, uh, my two boys had uh, very different reactions to the storm that came through on, on Friday night. Uh, we had gotten the kids all down to bed and you know, the storm rolled in. You guys all experienced it. And uh, the very first thunderclap, uh, Brian is, is out of his room. Mom, Dad, I, I need you. I'm scared. I need to watch a show. That will make me feel better. And uh, sits with us through the whole storm with this kind of combination of uh, intrigue and, and terror. And um, well, the storm was, it was crazy. There's thunder, there's lightning. Uh, the rain is pouring down. It starts hailing. Um, Sounds like the windows in our house are going to break. It's just thunderous. A tree in our backyard fell over. And in the midst of it, we're like, we better check on Johnny, make sure he's doing all right. And so we, we go into his room and open it up to see if he's okay. And, and John is just dead to the world. I could not have been phased by, by anything regarding the storm. And I think that uh, these different responses, they exemplify well two different responses that different people might have to the book of James. James, in this book, he, he brings the thunder, right? And depending on your wiring, you may respond diff, in different ways. You know, you might hear in James, James starts talking about taming the tongue, and immediately you are just overwhelmed with conviction, right? You can think of, oh my gosh, here's all the ways that I've failed. Here's all the mistakes that I've made in this area. James mentions boasting, and it's like, oh my goodness, I, I, I'm I'm terrible. And if that's you, James can be a pretty difficult book because James is kind of relentless. Um, and if that's your wiring as we go through the book of James, you need to be reminded that you're saved by grace, that the book of James is not this uh, cosmic performance review, that God is not up in heaven keeping score and saying, hey, are you doing good here or, or bad there? But no, you are, you are saved, you are loved, not because of how good of a person you are, but because of how good of a God he is. And so these words of James aren't meant to crush us, but they're meant to grow us. But many of us are like my son Jonathan. We're not quite so sensitive. We read the, hear the words of the book of James and it's easy to go, man, this is, you might think, oh, this, this doesn't apply to me. Or I, I know someone who, someone else who could really use to hear these words. And James is writing the way that he is writing for, for us. Remember, James is a pastor, and he cares about the maturity and the growth of these early Christians. And what he's trying to do is he's trying to wake them up. He's trying to say, hey, hey, the, the Christian life, there, there should be fruit. There should be a, a living faith. Faith without works is dead. There, there needs to be stuff produced in you. You can't just rely on a, on a prayer you prayed long ago or, or some, something you trusted in long ago. There, it needs to be living and active. And so James, for, for a lot of us, is trying to wake us up and get our attention. And so he uses this harsh language, and we need the words of James. And this passage in James 5 is some of the 
harshest language yet in the book. He just goes, Old Testament prophet. He does it to get our attention and to get to our hearts. And James, in this passage, passage, he gets to the big issue of money. And the Bible talks about money over and over again because there's something unique about money and its ability to grip our hearts and to consume our attention. Now, Jesus, he talked about money more than anyone else in the Bible. And he said, he said, he didn't say you can either serve God or sex. You can either serve God or power. No, he says, you can either serve God or money. See, money is this unique, tangible, concrete way that we can measure where our heart is and what we really love. The thing about money is nobody is in love with little pieces of green paper that can stack up. Right? We love money because we love what those pieces of paper can get us, whether it be status or comfort or power or security. Money becomes a means to an end. And, and the Bible makes it really clear that money's not good or bad within itself, but money is very powerful. It's like fire, right? Fire can be used for many great things. It can keep you warm. It can cook your food. But if it, get lo- if it gets loose in your living room, it can burn your house down. It's powerful. It can be dangerous. And what James does in this passage that we're going to look at is he brings three particular indictments about money. Three ways that that we can abuse and misuse our money if we're not careful. And James, as we just heard, he is relentless with the indictments. They are some very hard truths, and he, and he doesn't let up. In fact, he just jumps right in. Verse one, listen, you rich people, weep and wail because of the misery that is coming on you. And before we dive in, we gotta hit on a couple things. All right, it can be easy to hear this passage. Listen, you rich people, and say, Sweet, I'm not rich. I don't have to pay attention today. I can check out for this one. Here's the thing. Psychologically, very few of us in this room would say, you know what, yeah, I am rich. I have a ton of money. But statistically, nearly every one of us is rich compared to the rest of the world. Right, $32,500 a year will put you in the 1% in the entire world. We still are a people who live in the wealthiest country in the world in the wealthiest time of the world. And so if you're in that place of like, oh, sweet, I'm not rich, James is saying, no, you're sleeping. Wake up. Wake up. You need to hear this. I'm talking to you. He's talking to all of us. The second thing is these indictments that he brings, and they're hard, they're not there just to make us feel bad. Right, in the Bible, every indictment, it's not there just to bring, to heap guilt and shame and, and make us feel awful, but with every indictment, there's also an invitation. There's an invitation to a, a better way to live, a better way to, to use our money and to experience God's grace with our money. And so I, I think there's an opportunity that I wanna invite you guys into as we look at these indictments to, to not just be offended or, or get defensive by what James is saying, but, but to receive the invitation in some sense, to, to let our defenses down a little bit, to be open-minded and say, you know what, God, what would you have for me this morning? To hear with new ears. So let's look together these, these three indictments and then the three invitations that go along with each indictment. 
First, in verses two and three, the first indictment is against hoarding. James writes, your wealth has rotted and moths have eaten your clothes. Your gold and silver are corroded. Their corrosion will testify against you and eat your flesh like fire. You have hoarded wealth in the last days. Now hoarding your money is accumulating money in order to stockpile it. It's collecting and collecting as much as possible, keeping it as many places as possible. Now, wh- now why do people hoard things? Well, you hoard for security. You think, okay, I, I need to, to keep enough stuff, have enough money so that no matter what happens in my life, no matter what life throws my way, I will be safe. I'll be okay, I'll be secure. And the problem with hoarding your money is that it's a way of using money to avoid trusting in God. You place your trust for security and safety in the size of your bank account instead of in the goodness of God. And James says, that, that's foolish. Don't do that. He says, your wealth, it's, it's not gonna last. It's, it's going to rot. Moths are gonna eat away your clothes, your gold and your silver. Eventually, it's all gonna rust away. They're not going to survive. We live longer than just this, this short life. We live for eternity. Another thing is, is hoarding. It becomes corrosive, not just to the things we have, but it's corrosive to our souls. See, money is unable to deliver the security that your heart truly longs for. There's this great verse in 1 Timothy 6 that Paul says, command those who are rich in this present world not to be arrogant nor to put their hope in wealth, which is so uncertain, but to put their hope in God, who richly provides us with everything for our enjoyment. See, this world is very uncertain. And there's not enough money in the world to eliminate uncertainty in our lives. It's unable to do that. If you place that kind of expectation on your money, if you think that your money is gonna keep you secure from anything that life will send you, it will disappoint you. And it will actually lead you down a road of anxiety and fear as you realize that. God is the only one who can give us the security that we need in the midst of all the uncertainty because he's the only one who's in control of it all. So the indictment is against hoarding. The invitation is to stewardship. This idea of stewardship in the Bible, it starts with the recognition of something very important. The recognition that everything belongs to God. Psalm 24 verse one says, the earth is the Lord's and everything in it. This is an important concept to understand that everything you have has been given to you as a gift from the creator. So God has entrusted to you gifts and money and wealth. And he wants you to use those things that he has given to you for his honor, to move his mission forward, to advance his kingdom. We're very much like the money managers in Matthew 25, the parable that Jesus told where there's this master who who gives his wealth to three of his servants. He entrusts his wealth to them and he expects them then to to go and invest and, and multiply his money and use the money that he has given to them. And the first two do that and when the master comes back, he says, well done. And he gives them more rewards and more riches. But the third guy, he hoarded it. He took the money and he buried it. And when the master comes back, he's not happy with him. He's unhappy. He tosses him out. He rejects that servant. 
See, whatever amount of wealth God has given to you and your family, whether it's a little or a lot, is not meant to be hoarded, it's meant to be stewarded. It's for you to think strategically of how can I best use what God has given me for the kingdom? How can I use this to, to care for my family, to bless the other people in my life, to, to care for my church, to care for the poor and the needy, to advance the kingdom of God where God has placed me? How can I use this that would bring honor and glory to the one who gave it to me? See, there's a, there's a big difference between hoarding and saving. See, the Bible is not opposed at all to saving. In fact, saving is, is wise. We should save. Saving says, okay, this world is, is uncertain. I don't know what the future is gonna hold. And so I sh- probably shouldn't spend all the money that I have right now. Instead, I should take some and I should prepare for that future. Saving is thinking of how can I provide for my family if something unexpected like an illness or a job loss happens out of nowhere? What happens when I can't work any longer? When I'm ready to retire or when I'm unable to to do my job? How are you preparing now so that you won't be a burden on others in the future? So that in fact you can be a blessing to those around you, to bless your children, to bless your grandchildren, to be able to give generously and bless others late into life. See, saving is not hoarding. Saving is good stewardship. So then the obvious question becomes, well, well, how much do we save? What what should it be, 5%, 10%, 20%? If not saving anything is on this end, and that's not wise, and on the other end is hoarding, well, where's where's the happy middle place? You know, when does saving become hoarding? And the answer is, I don't know. See, the Bible doesn't lay it out. The Bible doesn't say, okay, here's exactly what you should do. It it may be different for each person. One person's savings may be another person's hoarding. The question isn't necessarily how much should you save. The question is, when's the last time you prayed about it? When's the last time you took your finances and your budget and brought it before the Lord and said, God, how, how do you want me to spend my money? How much should I save? How should I use what you have given me to honor you, to bless those around me? And inviting him into your bank accounts and into your budget. So we shouldn't hoard, but instead we should be good stewards. The second indictment that you see in verse four is an indictment against injustice. James writes, look, The wages you failed to pay the workers who mowed your fields are crying against you. The cries of the harvesters have reached the ears of the Lord Almighty. And James is writing about these rich landowners who who hired workers and then didn't end up paying them. That they've mistreated their workers and that God, he sees this injustice, he hears their cries of injustice and he cares about it. And what James wants us to see is that, that money has this power to cause us to try to accumulate wealth by any means necessary. That even if it means hurting other people or treating other people unfairly in the process, there's a power that money has to tempt us to to do that, even if it means hurting others. So the, the simple invitation to this indictment against injustice is for us to be a people of justice. That as Christians, it should matter to us 
that people are treated fairly. We've seen this in other places in the book of James that it's important that the rich aren't shown favoritism simply because they're rich and that the poor aren't mistreated simply because they're poor. We should be people who who care about justice, about equality, about fairness. And real practically, so for some of you, you are you're in a position of, of actually employing others. You know, you own your own business or you're a manager, you're in charge of, of hiring and firing decisions. Right, this is real relevant, that, that if you're gonna hire someone, pay them what you said they were gonna, you're gonna pay them. Pay them a, a living wage. Don't try to pay people the, the least possible amount that you can. It means when it comes bonus time, don't try to, to move the goalpost and say, actually, I want you to do more. Give the employees the bonus that they've earned. Right, some of you sell goods and services, whether it's as a, a side hustle or, or as your job. Do you create things and then you sell them? The call is don't rip people off. Charge what is fair. Charge what it's worth. If you're paying someone else to do a job, you know, don't try to take advantage of them. Just because you know they need the work or you know they don't have any legal recourse if you, if you don't pay them what they own, what they've earned. You know, Paul in, in Romans 13, it, he tells us to let no debt remain outstanding. Right, and so it's real practically, if you've borrowed money from someone else, if you owe someone money, go pay it back. Right, don't wait for them to come hounding you and, and knocking on your door. Pay your bills, pay what is owed. You know, I have a, a friend who, who recently realized that he had filed his taxes incorrectly. Right, TurboTax just did him wrong. And it was an honest mistake, but he f- realized that he actually owed the IRS another $4,000. Right, big mistake. Now, it was, he had already filed his taxes and, and he realized it after the fact. And so would the IRS have caught it? Probably not, right? Could he have waited until the IRS maybe did catch it and then said, hey, this, we've, we realized this error and he could claim ignorance and just pay the, the small penalty? Absolutely, he could have. Would I have been tempted to do that? Probably, but that's not what he did. No, instead, he filed an amended return and said, hey, I, I actually owe more than what I originally thought. And he paid the four grand. Now, why would he do that? Why could he do that? It's because my friend realized that at the end of the day, it was just money, right? It wasn't worth his integrity or compromising his character in order to save a few grand, and friends, the, the invitation, what, what James is trying to say to us is, is that there are more important things in your life than the size of your bank account. There's more important things. The character of our hearts, the way that we treat other people, our reputations with one another and in this world, the pursuit of justice, our witness to others, our relationships. These things are not worth losing for the sake of money. So may we be a people of justice and not of injustice. The third indictment that we see in James in uh, verse five is against self-indulgence. James writes, you've lived on earth in luxury and self-indulgence. You have fattened yourselves in the day of slaughter. Right? I bet he was fun at parties, right? 
So James, in this indictment, he's going after being completely self-centered with your money. That, that everything you get, all the money that you make is, is put towards the goal of making your life more luxurious. That you're completely consumed of what can I do for myself? How can I make my life easier or more comfortable? So this kind of mentality, it, it buys the nicest, the most expensive, the largest, the best for no other reason than I can. That's what I wanna do. It's, it's my money and I deserve to spend it the way that I want to. And the problem with this is that it completely forgets what we said earlier, that God has entrusted this wealth to you to steward. It, it, it's a gift. Now, now, here's the thing. It's important to say this, that God is not opposed to us having nice things. Okay? Nice things can be very nice. Right? There's no verse that says, thou shalt not have nice things. But what God is opposed to is those nice things having us. And the question that we need to ask ourselves is, is why? Why do I want this? Why do I have the things that I have? Why am I spending the money on this? It's bringing it up before the Lord. And so there are some of you that have beautiful and expensive homes, but they are havens of hospitality, that they're places that, that you welcome others into. They're, you have a spare bedroom that, that someone who needs to stay can, can stay for a while. You're welcoming folks in to, to celebrate who God is and, and what he's done to show others hospitality. Others of you, you might have multiple cars, but everybody knows that if they need a loaner car, if they're in need, they can call you up and you're happy to let them use the car for however long it's needed. What James is, is going after when he says, you have fattened yourselves in the day of slaughter. It's, it's, he's going after this mentality that, that this life is all there is. He's thinking this life is, is all I've got, so I need to make as much money as I can and spend as all of it on myself while I can. And he's saying, don't, don't do that. To have that kind of mentality, to think that way, to view your life like that, it's like your cattle, you're a cow and you've got your head down in the grass and you're just eating and consuming and fattening yourself up, totally clueless that any day you're gonna become a steak, right? It's intense, right? He is not hiding how he feels about this thing, right? James is saying that is a foolish way to view your life. And the reason is, is that your life is bigger than yourself. It's bigger than just yourself, God has put you on this earth for a purpose. He has given you what you have, money, finances, wealth, for a reason. He says, I, I want you to steward it well. I want you to use what I've given you to bless others, to see God's kingdom grow, to take this little corner of the earth that I have placed you in and do everything you can so that on earth it may be as in heaven. He's saying, I, I want to invite you into something bigger than just thinking about yourself and what kind of things you can buy for yourself, right? Enter into this cosmic story of redemption of what I'm doing in this world. Don't just think about yourself. Think about others as well. Think bigger. 
The indictment is, is against self-indulgence, luxury, extravagance. And the invitation to all of us is, is to generosity. It's to giving your money away. You know, this has been the, the discipline of God's people for generations, for thousands of years. This, this practice of, of generosity. And what it does is it, it recognizes, okay, everything that I have is a gift from God. And so I'm going to give some of what God has given me away in order to help others. So I'm, I'm going to give. I'm going to give to my church. I'm going to give to those that are in need. It's this practice of generosity. And, and there's something built into the practice of generosity. That it's, it's, it's giving money away, not, not simply just to help people, but it's, it's giving some of your money away so that it's just not yours anymore. Right, generosity, it's not saying, okay, I'm gonna give this money as long as I know it's being used in the way that I would want it to be used. As long as I know exactly how that money's going to be spent. Now, now we should be wise and we shouldn't give to organizations that you know, spend money poorly and, and, and all that. But there's a, there's a part of actually giving. The whole purpose of it is to say, you know what? I'm gonna give this away and now it's not mine anymore because it was never mine in the first place. See, giving, it enables us to release our grip on our money. And so we we give to our church, we give to those who are in need. You keep your eyes and, and your ears and your heart open to opportunities to help other people. And and what we see in the scriptures, what I've experienced personally, is that giving really is is a discipline. It's not something that that comes naturally to us, right? It's something that takes practice. But as in so many other disciplines in the scripture, other virtues, if we do practice it, if we experience it, it is so life-giving. It is so beautiful. It is this beautiful, tangible, real way to experience the fact that, God, you have given me everything, and now I'm gonna give some of this away because it was yours to begin with. The Apostle Paul in 2 Corinthians 8 and 9, there's this just beautiful uh, passage of scripture where, um, where Paul is writing to the Corinthian church and he's encouraging them to give of their money to help other Christians that are in need. And I encourage you to some, take some time this week to, to read it, but he, he's got this verse in 2 Corinthians 8, 7, where he says to them, he says, since you excel in everything, in faith, in speech, in knowledge, in complete earnestness and in the love we have kindled in you. You know, you've, you've done so well in all these other disciplines and all these other things. He says, see that you also excel in this grace of giving, right? Look at all these things you've grown in. Grow also in the grace of giving. That's just a beautiful description. You know, I mentioned uh, um, our daughter, Evelyn, we just brought her home. We, we adopted her and all three of our, our children are, are adopted and we, um, we love adoption. It has been just a, a beautiful experience for us of uh, experiencing the gospel, experiencing a, a way for us to, to grow our family. Um, but the reality is adoption can be pretty expensive. And so for this third grow, go around, we were faced with some bills that we weren't gonna be able to pay. And so we decided uh, to do some, some fundraising. 
and to ask for some help. And uh, I'll be honest, it was, it was kind of hard for me to do and to, to swallow my pride and, and ask for help from others, but, um, but it was an amazing experience. We received some, some assistance from a Sojourn East Adoption Fund that was started this year, um, a matching grant that was, that was made available to us, which we were so grateful for. And, and then we opened it up and asked for friends, asked our friends and family uh, to consider giving. And we were overwhelmed by the response. Many of you gave to us. Uh, we had friends that we hadn't talked to uh, since college that, that gave to us. And, and, and not just simply gave, but the, the generosity. We were blown away about the amount that was, giving, that was given. And, and at the end of our time, we had hoped to kind of defray just a, a portion of our costs. And we ended up raising our entire adoption costs. It was It was incredible. It was amazing, it was, it was humbling, it was overwhelming to be on the receiving end of other people's generosity. What was really cool in, in the midst of it all and just the receiving the huge blessing, it, it did something to, to Jackie and I in our hearts, right? It caused us to all of a sudden, we, we wanted to get in on the action. And so we started, after the, the fundraising was done, we're like, well, who can we help out? Who can we be generous to? What's the, what's the GoFundMe that we can be a part of? There was something about experiencing other people's generosity that made us want to participate in the grace of giving. It was this beautiful thing of this reciprocal, hey, we're, we're giving, we're caring for one another. And so we grew in the grace of giving. It's a challenge. It's something that if it's not a, a practice that you're, you're in right now, it can be difficult to start, but I encourage you to, to take time to, to prayerfully consider, how can I practice this grace of giving? The obvious question again becomes, well, how much should I give? What, what's the right amount? And, you know, in the, in the Old Testament, God gave his people the, the tithe and say, I want you to give 10%, and uh, we don't have the time this morning to to get into all the different passages to debate whether the tithe is, is still a command for, for Christians today. I think 10% is a, a great benchmark, a great place to say, okay, how, how am I doing? Maybe it's something to aspire to or, or to grow from. Here's what I would say about with the question of how much should I give? As, as Christians, if we are practicing the grace of giving, I think you should give in such a way that there are things in your life that you can't do because you give. Right? You give enough that it cramps your lifestyle. Right? There are things in your life that you've gotta say no to that you could say yes to if it weren't for the fact that you were practicing generosity. Right? Another way to put it could be, does your, does your standard of living increase at the same rate as your income? And so if you're, over time, your, your money that you're making goes up like this, perhaps your standard of living should go up like that. that. That we shouldn't necessarily be spending as much as we possibly can because we're practicing generosity. And to take it even a little further, I would argue that the more you make, the wider that that gap ought to be between where you could be living and where you are living because you practice the grace of giving. You should be able to look at your peers, your colleagues, your coworkers, people that are at the same station and say, you know what, I, I don't drive as nice of a car. I don't have as nice of a house because, because you give. You give 
part of your money away. Now, this is a challenge. This runs against everything we're told because we're told oftentimes you should live above your means. And God is saying, no, live below your means. Practice generosity. Now, I think a lot of times we, we read these passages about money and about giving and, and we read different things and uh, kind of can hear some of the harsh language that James uses. And, and what can end up happening is I think we can end up with a superficial understanding around money and wealth. That, that we can begin to think as Christians that, that, well, rich must equal bad and poor must somehow equal good. And I would submit to you that that would just be a, a too simplistic of a way of viewing money. Because here's the reality. There are rich, wealthy people that are very righteous. Right? They are filled with the Holy Spirit. They exhibit the fruit of the Spirit of love and joy, peace and patience. Right? Some of the, the wealthiest people I know are also some of the, the kindest and most holy people that I know. But there are also rich people who are unrighteous that they are filled with bitterness and envy and and jealousy, these qualities that we saw a few weeks ago from from James chapter three. On the flip side as well, there are are poor people who are are righteous, that they have a a peace that surpasses understanding. They're they're patient, they trust in God. And you have poor people who are unrighteous. Well, it's not as simple as rich equals unrighteous, poor equals righteous, not at all. Money doesn't determine whether you are going to be a righteous person or not. Money is a a potentiator. It's a new word that I learned this week. I was talking with a friend of mine about this sermon. and In the pharmacological world, a potentiator is a drug that intensifies the effect of another drug. And so if you have a, a pain medication and you want to intensify its effect, you might, a doctor might add in another drug that would cause it to work in a more intense way to accelerate its effects. Money is like a potentiator. Money doesn't make you righteous or unrighteous. It intensifies what is already there. So a godly person who is filled with love and generosity, when they're given more money, It just increases the possibilities that they have to express that love, to express that generosity. But an ungodly person filled with anger and envy and selfishness, more money's not gonna change that, right? More money might alleviate some of the, the pressures in your life, but it's not going to all of a sudden make you a holy person. It's not gonna change your character. Right? It's, a, it's a fool who thinks that and if I only had more money, then I would be more righteous. If only I had more money, then I would practice generosity. The problem is I, I just don't have enough and, and so I can't be generous. But if I had more money, then I would be. No, you wouldn't. You wouldn't. Right? Generosity is, is, not a, is, is not a matter of your bank account and how much you have. We see that with Jesus and and the widow's might. Generosity comes down to your heart. Jesus, that's ultimately what what he's after. Right? In all of this, Jesus isn't after your money. He's after your heart. And so what we need to understand is that if we're going to be the type of people who respond to these invitations, who aren't living out these indictments, we've got to be people who have had our hearts captured by Jesus. 
And the way that we have our hearts captured by Jesus is when we encounter the gospel of grace. The way that we are able to live lives of, of generosity that, that, that overflows from our heart, not out of compulsion, not because we feel like we have to, is when we encounter the gospel of Jesus Christ. When we recognize the fact that Jesus had everything. When he was with the Father, he, he was filled with riches and he didn't just keep them to himself. He didn't say, hey, we've got a good thing going on. No, he, he emptied himself of his riches and he entered into this world and he came down to this earth to be poor among us. And not only that, he emptied himself out of his life. He goes to the cross and experiences incredible suffering and pain and torment so that we who are poor in our sin might become rich. Right? Jesus is the, the one in, in verse six, the, the innocent one, the, the one who, who comes not to oppose us, but he comes to, to give us life, to show us his grace. He comes and says, you know what? You're safe. I've done all this for you. In 2 Corinthians 8, if you keep reading in that passage that Paul writes as he's making the appeal to this church to give, he says, he doesn't say, here's what you have to do or here's why all the reasons of guilt, shame, and fear you should give. He says, look to Jesus. Jesus, though he was rich, he became poor so that you who were poor might become rich. Right? Jesus is saying to us, if you have me, if you know me, you have everything you need. And money, it just becomes money, right? You don't need to look to money for your status, for your comfort, for your security, for your fame, for your power. All those things are found in Jesus Christ. And so the final invitation today is for us to, to come to the table, to be reminded of what Jesus has done to encounter the gospel with a fresh heart and fresh eyes to see the generosity that he has poured on to each and every one of us and ask God to, to give us a heart that is generous. You know, every week we, we celebrate communion. We come forward and if you're a follower of Christ, you, you take a piece of bread and dip it into the juice or the, the wine. And it's an opportunity for us to, to pause, to take some time in our week and to reflect again of what Jesus has done for us to recognize his generosity, and to respond. And so for some of us this morning, it's an opportunity for us to, to respond with repentance, to go to God and say, God, I've been, I've been living this area of my life with my finances just completely separate from you. Would you speak into it? Would you show me what you would have for me? For other of us, others of us, we, we just need to come and contemplate again. Let God stir our hearts towards generosity. Maybe you're, maybe you're sitting and you're feeling uh, an invitation of, I mean, I, I wanna give more. I don't, I don't know what to do. I don't know how to take that step. Ask God, what's, what steps should I take? Show me the direction. I'm gonna pray in a moment and invite you if, if, um, if, you, if you're a follower of Christ to, to come and, and come forward and take part and remember the generosity that Jesus has shown us. Let's pray together.